everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where four friends seek to broaden our cinematic horizons and sometimes just get drunk and chat together. <laughs> yes, more of that. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly movie discussion podcast where uh, each of us take turns picking a film, watching it together, and then talking about it. There are no rules about the types of films we can pick. And... Uh, the whole idea is that we get more of the experience when we share it with people whose company we enjoy. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined by my very old friends who I thankfully have seen more recently than in three years. Joel Lewis. <laughs> Howdy. Tim Gerard. Hello. And Zeke Perez. Hi. Yeah. If you're confused, three years remark was an extremely clunky reference to the film we watched this month. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't have anything years. better. That's, that's what it is. I, I swear it's two at one point and three at another. Right? Doesn't, I, whatever, we'll get there. Um. <laughs> There's some continuity shifts for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe well, like the three year mark was... people talking. So, yeah. right. It could be the th- different events they're referencing or it could be the different person hasn't seen the other person in right. longer. I don't know. Right. Whatever. Um, anyway. Welcome. This month, this month I was the movie selector, and we watched The Invitation, a 2015 horror thriller that I am just absolutely in love with. Uh, that I first heard about at that Psy Film Center down on Colfax. Sweet. I was seeing The Witch, and they had trailers for cool movies that didn't necessarily get wide releases, and one of them was The Invitation. And there you are. That's it. That's the whole story. It's how it got into my life. Segment over. Um, so, <laughs> Next. Um, but uh, but that's that's yeah. Because one of you want to summarize, I know I do the introduction. I do a lot of talking, so I don't necessarily need no, to summarize my own you, film. You but okay, it. sure. So our main character is Will, and he and his new girlfriend Kira are returning to the home he used to live in with his ex-wife Eden, for the first time in two years. And something obviously tragic happened in their past, and that's probably what drove them apart. And it's Will and a bunch of old friends. They all used to hang out and know each other really well. It's the first time in years they've all seen each other. They're getting together for this dinner party. But Will thinks something is off. Something seems suspicious. And He's fucking right. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. The entire, film, <laughs> the entire film plays with the idea that maybe he's right and there's more going on here. Or maybe he's just on edge from the, the tension and the past trauma and the grief and the being back here again for the first time. And maybe it's just driving him insane. And the film plays back and forth with that through like 99% of the runtime, right up until the very end when you find out that something very much is going on. And it's, uh, it's pretty awful. But yeah, that's, that's about it. That's my summary. <laughs> I also love that the paranoia, this is one of my favorite moments, continues even into when you realize like, oh, he was right all along. Like when you talking about like the garage door, it's like, I swear there was a door here. And it's like, yeah, was there, Will? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess I should have given my usual spoiler warning at the beginning. I was trying to trim the intro a bit. But yeah, we, we don't reserve spoilers for any film we talk about. So if you're concerned, please go watch it now. Yeah. 
Which I always yes. wonder that, like, who would listen to a podcast about a movie they've never seen? Like, it just seems like... I do. You well, do. yeah, I, I did for Justice League because I'm not sitting through it. <laughs> I, still, I still maintain that was much better than Batman v Superman, and I'm the only one on Earth who seems to think that. But. You are correct. You are the only person on Earth who thinks that. <laughs> I don't know. That. I think I'm on your side on that one. I think I'll, I'll agree with you there. Thank yeah, you. I just I, didn't like yeah. I'd have to think of... Yeah. <laughs> I have no, to think I, about it. I don't know fine. if I disagree, but I, yeah, I'd have to think about it. You, you, I, I may agree. I don't know. I'd have to think. Batman v Superman like the, was a good main idea that tossed in a little too much extra weirdness and suffered from identity issues towards the end. Justice League kind of just swept all that away and went, here are your characters. Here's your main problem. And except for the middle chunk about Superman being a little awkward, it had a much better overall identity, I thought. But... This is not a Justice League episode. One of you can pick that and we can do that another time. This is an invitation episode. Um, so, so, yeah, I mentioned that it, it was, I saw a trailer for it at the, the Sci Film Center here is sort of just a small, I don't know, like I want to say kind of art house theater, but the point is that it's small and they show things that don't necessarily get regular theater releases. Yeah, it fits the description. But they also yeah. show things that do, you know, like The Witch and... Yeah, The Witch brought me trailers for a couple of interesting films, including The Invitation. I ended up having to just go seek it out on Netflix, I think, where it still is, where we all watched it. Um, and then I bought it, and I just, I loved it. So that's, that's about it. There's no grand mystery here. It really pinpointed everything I want out of a thriller in terms of the way it balances suspicion and paranoia and the way it executes its plot, the way it moves slowly but not too slowly. I... It's very much become a yardstick for me for measuring other films. And uh, yeah, I really like it a lot. But I mean, that, that's my first impression, I guess. I loved it. So with that, I'd like to hear your first impressions. From the Do we want to go in a cycle order? So Tim, Zeke, and then me? Sure. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I did, I did remember that was sort of the, the one thing, Scott, you had said about it without spoilers, is that it plays back and forth between this paranoia and is something really happening. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was perfect. It was, it was brilliant the way, you know, it was such a, a masterclass in like screenwriting, you know, where it's like, how do we, how do we have these subtle little things that kind of keep it moving, moving forward, keep you bouncing back and forth, you know? Um, and and uh, also the fact that like, I think one of the things that really helps too is like you see all of these other people who are having a good time, but you're always looking at them from Will's perspective. Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't ever really spend time, I think, with any of the other party members by themselves. We're like, oh, everything's fine. Like you're just looking through his eyes at watching everyone having a good time, and you're like, boy, are they stupid <laughs> because they don't see what's really <laughs> yeah. happening here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just how they reveal parts of the story too. Like, you know, like what's going on with, with him and his past, like when, when they're first yeah. walking into the house and you see him look through the window and you see the little boy playing, but then you never see the boy and you're like, it's not oh, really. yeah. okay. And, and, you know, and, and how, how subtly, like with the dialogue, they piece together the past, but they never take you by the hand and at the end show you the whole scene, which I feel like plenty of other movies will do that. They'll kind of hint at stuff and foreshadow stuff. And then they'll say, right. okay, now we're going to take 10 minutes and play out a flashback yeah. in chronological order to show you exactly what happened. Like you never actually see what happens to the sun, but you hear that he mentions letting them play with the bat. And you're like, okay, like I get all this. I don't need to see yeah. it now. It you connects know? to what you said about keeping Will's perspective because he isn't necessarily going to see the whole flashback again. 
He's just right. going to get the bits and pieces. Yeah. It's fragmented yeah. because he's experiencing the trauma again, and it's right. coming in these ways. It's it's a great yeah the way yeah the way it's triggering his memories is not chronological. Yeah, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and I, yeah, and I like how it kind of works backwards in that way too. Like you see the scene of him stopping his wife from like killing herself, and you're like, mm -hmm. oh okay, that's what the divorce was about. But you're not. They don't explain why she wanted to kill herself, and then you kind of piece that together. And I, yeah, so I just thought it was. It was brilliant. It was great. It was like, you know, every little detail and like the whole, um, the whole thing about, you know, the coyote at the beginning, you know, and then that comes back later. And it's in the window. I forget her new husband's name when he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a mercy killing kind of thing. And, you know, and, and, and it, you know, how well that ties together at the end, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, the other thing I really liked too that I, that I caught was how like he talked about the bars on the windows and you can kind of see that pattern of like this, the interconnected circles and it looks kind of decorative. And then like once he kind of hangs the lantern, you see that that pattern is on the lantern too. And it kind of, it was, it was on something else. So I don't know if it was like a light that was also inside their house. So you also kind of see like, it wasn't just like, Oh, we want bars, but let's do a pretty pattern instead of just like jail bars. Yeah. And you kind of see that it's like, Oh no, this must be like a symbol of, of the, you know, the invitation and how it's like on, you know, it's, it's, it's cage, literally caging them in, you know, those bars on the walls are, are and the windows are like the symbol of the invitation and, and, and all of that. And it's and how well it's tied into everything, not just like, Oh yeah, that happens to be this pattern that was used for our bars and, and then how that, you know, ties in with, um, yeah, with that, that final scene, which, uh, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a nice, I don't, I wouldn't call it a twist, but a nice, like added, uh, upping the ante at the very, very end, you know, yeah. seeing all those other lanterns, which, um, I was like, Oh, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. This is, mm -hmm. which my one complaint about that was that in the first time they show it, I count, I actually paused it and counted. There are 14 red lanterns that you see. <laughs> And then when they show it again, there are only nine. And I know that they up the ante by adding the sound. Like you hear more of the helicopters, more of the, the fire engines and all that stuff. Yeah. But like visually it kind of, and I understand they wanted to focus more on the two of them, but like I wanted to see, oh look, here's 13 lanterns. Let's show it again. Oh look, here's 30 lanterns. Like, oh fuck, like a ton of people are dying right yeah. now. You know, like. I, you know, I've never, it's never occurred to me to count the lanterns. <laughs> um, but I, I would maybe posit to you that of the lanterns that have been extinguished, lanterns where the invitation is concluded in those homes. But I mean, who would have extinguished them if everybody's dead? All right, never mind. You but, got me. <laughs> and, and again, like I said, the sound upped the ante because we heard more of the fire trucks and the helicopters and it was like, you know, and, and it was, and, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was just kind of like visually I wanted to be more creeped out by because you know you're kind of guessing okay if each lantern is about 10 people at a dinner party like now you can 10 20 30 you know that was 150 people well wait now we're only down to 100 people which is still a lot but like you know but anyway yeah that was that was my thing those are all the yeah someone else go <laughs> Zeke's hydrated yeah. i'm hydrated <laughs> ready to go um yeah, I think for me, uh, so I, I don't know. I'm weird with horror movies in that I've seen quite a few of them, but I don't always enjoy the experience. So I think I was gearing up for this one to just be a traditional, um, I guess, like jump scare laden horror or like what's the what's the spooky monster that's going to be the turn, like what creepy ghost sort of thing. Um, and I think there were a few things that set it up to feel that way, right? Like 
you know, you get, they get up there to the house, right? And it's, oh, there's no phone reception up here. Like, okay, I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, um, and then people are starting to trickle in. There's a knock on the door. They go and check and it goes, oh, it's just two people that were looking for looking a party. For on party. Foot. And I was like, okay, that seems like another creepy thing that those people are going to come back and try to, you know, a little home invasion scenario. They talk about the lock on the door. Mm. So it sets up all these things where you feel like there's going to be some sort of external um, force or some sort of external attack. And I think a couple other things that, led me to that right just those similarities um i've played until dawn on ps4 lately yeah recently and there's um right the setup there is mm -hmm. that there's uh you know they're going back to a cabin a few years after a tragic thing and i'm like okay so they're going back to where the tragic thing happened in this movie too Ugh. um there were yeah. some ha house on haunted hill vibes right like a bunch of people go into a house who knows why so there were all these things that were leading me to think that it's going to be like other horror things I've seen, other horror movies, horror games, whatever, other things in the genre that I've seen. Um, but then, you know, the twist is kind of anything but. It's a very slow burn. Um, you know, I think there, there are a couple moments where I thought it was just going to be a big, like, mega turn, I think, when they first show the video to everyone. And I'm like, yeah. what sort of creepy thing is going to pop up on the video? But it's more subtle than that. And so I think I really appreciated that it was you know, much more of a thriller than a horror um, with some of those same setups. Um, no, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I have cool. much more to add than that, but I think the slow burn really worked for me. I really like those sort of psychological, suspenseful thrillers. So I enjoyed this cool. one. I'm glad. Awesome. Joel, bring us home. Um, I, I've discovered that I shouldn't be taking notes during horror films because it amplifies <laughs> every bit of trying to figure out the thing and then I'm missing things. And at a certain point I had to like slow down, but I, I think it just takes these, it, it just dances with all of these great horror thing, themes. And it, it's at the end, it turns out to be like a home invasion though. The invaders Reverse. have invited them yeah. in and it just yeah. dances with that theme really well. And it plays such a great prelude to that. And it's it's constantly surprising about where you think the thing is. That was the thing the whole mm -hmm. time. And like, what's the thing? What's the thing? And it, it just it. And I the, one of the first notes I wrote is like, are they vampires or cultists? <laughs> is it an orgy or are they recruiting? And it's all of those things. Like they're not vampires, but it's like all of those things. So it, it just it was super well balanced. I I, I was really entertained by recognizing those different horror tropes Zeke and seeing them kind of turn on their heads or come at it from the left rather than the right. It, it just, it was really titillating in that way and engaging in that way. And it, it felt like the best of uh, home invasion, like funny games or us also does a very good, like variation on that. Um, the, the, I mean, this felt like very kind of proto us, like, a little little scaled. I don't know if everybody's seen us. Has mm -hmm. okay. Scott hasn't. So I have not. I, no. I might have to bring that to the podcast just for your benefit. But yeah. this this no, was definitely it. a little more grounded, and it plays with that home invasion kind of setup in in a really interesting and entertaining way. And it it just it's so oh man it's it it was really satisfying to watch, and it, it's it's one of those things where I realized really late in the day yesterday that I hadn't watched it yet. So it was 9.30 when I started. It's like, 
within oh. five minutes, I was like, oh, I made a mistake. This is not the thing to watch right now. This is too dark. This is too scary. <laughs> and, oh, and my gearing up for it, I watched it on a weekend, like started at like 11 in the morning. And, like, I'm not <laughs> letting this scare me. I'm, I'm doing this in broad daylight. So the opposite yeah. for me. <laughs> Oh man. And that was the thing I was kind of worried about. Like if I, I had half a beer and like, am I going to fall asleep in front of this thing? And like, by the, the end mm. I was amped, like <laughs> yeah. just awake. I was awake oh, for man. like another hour. Like, oh. <laughs> and that's the thing, like this was a great example of what good horror does. I think like there's different genres and different ways of processing horror and people like it for different reasons. But this is one of my favorite ways that it just plays with, your expectations and at the end you're like holy shit but like in in a, in a thought imagination generative way rather than just like okay it's J like i love jason but like jason shows up at the end he's not really dead he's hacks everybody to bits and he'll be back the next time like there, there's a formula to that and that's comforting in its own way comforting for horror is an odd <laughs> term comforting, yeah. but it, it's just like this is the kind of stuff that like really gets into your brain and, and kind of in, invites like what's the world beyond and that that's really the stuff that really intrigues me and has drawn me to like these kinds of films so it was it was really cool to watch and unlike anything scott's brought to the table before i, <laughs> I not that i was surprised to have liked it but it was just a very if scott was going to pick a horror movie i didn't know what that would look like it would probably be alien as we have seen from I many mean, discussions previously. i mean yeah it, it would like, be basically this, this was really surprising and really really good i i enjoyed it quite a bit yeah i think this it's, you mentioned if I picked the horror, it would be Alien, and it would be, because I sort of categorized the invitation as, it's where I put the word thriller, yeah. specifically. You know, like, the thing, two things that define the difference in those two would be Alien and the invitation for me. Like, this is the difference, right? But, mm. uh, but yeah, it's, I'm really glad you all liked this, because I, there are a lot of films I like that I always hope my friends will also enjoy, but you don't have to like, I mean, Blade Runner, obviously my <laughs> favorite film, but I know it's not for everyone, whatever. Sure. But for some reason I found myself really worried about this one. I'm just like, Oh my God, I hope they like it. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why this film did that, but I'm really glad. Really glad. Um, I, I don't know. Quick, no, yeah. So yeah, I was just going to, I was curious how many times uh, you've seen it. Cause it was one that as soon as it ended, it's one that I want to watch again to catch those things and kind of, yeah. Right, it's one of those that after you see how things shake out, you're like, oh, I wanted to what warning signs there yeah. were, or like I just want to see how it feels knowing all that. So how many yeah. times have you seen this? Just the scene where the people knock on the door and it's, oh, they were people looking for a different party. Oh, I'm a different right. invitation party. Ooh, you know, I wonder what happened to those <laughs> oh, people. Shit, that just clicked for me. Did they, what happened to them? I wonder. You know, um, I hope they just went home. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I can't find this we house. Can't find back it. Let's oh. go. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know how many times. Um, Around 10, but probably fewer, honestly. It's another film that I absolutely need to watch in its entirety. I don't like to stop or start this partway through. Mm, so if I sense. don't have time to sit down and do that, I'll like think, oh, I really want to watch what's, eh, I'll do another time. So that's kept the number lower, but okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, enough to around 10 experience or so. in a few, okay, that's a good, well, that's a good healthy number. <laughs> and it's, well, it's one of the things. So. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Oh no! Just because that's one of the things that I that I really enjoyed about it because it wasn't like a um, like a sixth sense kind of thing where you're just going along la da 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 and then it's like oh shit the rug is pulled out from under me like 
like the fact that you know he's kind of paranoid from the beginning, I feel like you do tend to catch more of the stuff as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, like once kind of like him, once you find out what's really going on, it just clicks and justifies all that stuff throughout the whole thing. But like, you know, again, it's not like he's just a totally chill guy and all this stuff is just kind of breezing past you. Like I was definitely like, Oh, that's creepy. Oh yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. You should be where, you know, so all of that stuff was kind of just being held in my brain as like, are you going to be justified or not? And then when you are, it's like, yes, you know, and it, like, it, I think it almost adds to the payoff as opposed to something like Sixth Sense where you think it's one thing, but it's actually another, like you were kind of, you know, on your toes as well the whole time. You know, how should I take this? Why is he locking the door? Why isn't he leaving the key? Why is this? Why is it? Yeah. What's she doing? You know, is she is he going to let her leave? Wait, why does he want to talk? You know, like, um, so I think that was kind of like really, really nice for me. I feel like it wasn't, I mean, even though I do want to watch it again and I, I may still pick up on stuff, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I was missing stuff the whole way right. because I, I was, mm. you know, I was being told by the character, like, Hey, this might be important. We should pay attention to you know as he's observing everything you know it's another film that's really happy to just let what's on screen be on screen like what you mentioned him about the flashback they didn't feel the need to hammer it home they didn't feel the need to explain everything there are just scenes where will is watching something happen a conversation or whatever and we just watch it too and that's it will doesn't have a buddy who is constantly going dude dude they just did this thing you see i'm right like it just happens and you watch it and and it creates all kinds of moments where there's just like a calm, almost a quiet, you know, there's some background noise. There's no real central audiovisual focus of the, the scene, but we still get to take in lots of information. It's also a film that like, it doesn't need to over explain those things. Like mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking about Inception when you were talking about a flashback that explains the whole thing. Like at the back, at the end, when you, I don't know if we've all seen Inception. I assume we all have because we mm-hmm. are relatively the mm-hmm. same generation and all saw that movie. But like when they're doing the, the are you going to, the, the train thing or like going to jump out the window in reality, right? Like we, we get bits and pieces of that story and then they show it to us at the end. Because throughout that whole movie, there's so many continuity shifts and it, it, it has to, to hold your hand to bring you there because mm-hmm. it's been so convoluted. Not, not that I hate that film or that it, it's a poorly put together film, but it has set it in place so that at the end you need that extra bit. But this mm-hmm. does so much more with those gaps and allows you to fill it in, in a satisfying way and in a way that makes your mind go wild. Like they talk about the kids with a bat, like did the other kid beat that kid to death with a bat? Like what the fuck happened? Like they, they, there's just these... Mm-hmm. by not showing it, it it's it's so much more brutal and it's so much more effective and it like those moments where you like we're reading more into it because we're looking through will's gaze like anytime the actor john carroll lynch shows up in a film it's bad news bears there's no <laughs> good outcome once that man he, and i didn't know before like i couldn't remember his name and the fact that his acting name is first, middle, last, like a freaking serial killer is very telling of all <laughs> the roles that he played. When this dude shows up, because he plays that dead-eyed killer so well. And it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think he was also in Crazy Stupid Love as just like the the uh, uh, Steve Carell's dad friend. He was in that, I've yeah. seen him in everything else and he's fucking scary. So that was- Go off of that, yeah, and then with what so with what Tim said, right, like, I don't think I necessarily want to go back and try to, like, 
because like you said, they, they do a pretty good job of saying, hey, this might be important. I think I'd be interested to go back really and focus on like the shell game that they play with the different characters um, because it, it's almost like a, you know, you're waiting for who's going to turn, right? Is it Eden? Right. Is it Pruitt? Is it, um, you know, is the main character, is the main character Michael? Will. Will. Yeah. Will. Is it mm-hmm. him all along, right? Like, you know, what, like who's, is Sadie, right? Where did she mm-hmm. come from? Why did they invite her? Yeah. Like they're just all these like, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to go back and think of them all as like, okay, most everyone here is a victim. Um, I don't know. But yeah, Pruitt definitely had me like, mm, I feel like he did the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just continues to confirm your bias about him with right. everything he does. He fucking tells that story of like, this is going to end bad. Right. You're going to tell the so story bad. and then walk the girl to the car because she's leaving mm-hmm. because of your story? Like Claire's that? dead. Claire's fucking dead. dead. <laughs> right. I wrote that down. Like, she all kinds of dead. There's no way. Well, My question like- is, yeah. Why did she stop when he was like, "Oh, Claire," and she stopped? I was like, "Bitch, Gone. get out of there! Go, yeah. go, get out!" Gas. Like, get out! <laughs> yes, that man has nothing to say to you that you need to hear. <laughs> I just, I love that. Admittedly, though, in, in Pruitt's favor, quote unquote, I liked that <laughs> they're talking about grief, and right. he brings up grief that he caused as a grief that he still is a victim of, and that was a really nice sort of just recognition of the many forms in which grief can come, you know? That it isn't just, oh, you know, yeah, they have a dead kid. Of course they feel all kinds of grief and trauma from that. Like his is the same but different, right? And, but it puts him in a similar situation. So of course they would have found each other with similar coping methods. I just, One of those things I, where they had really leaned into his alcoholism and like getting clean and like a symptom of a disease Mm-hmm. But, like, he he talks about just having a little bit too much to drink and then fucking killing her. Like, it, it was really, really brutal and really, really bold-faced. And, I mean, that that was the effect. Like, it was effective for that. Yeah. I don't know if it gives me any any sympathy for his character as going through grief having caused it. But it definitely, yeah. like, it was very, very stark and very, very shocking. And almost, like, was a more effective portrayal of the cult's philosophy than the mm-hmm. the video was which was fucked up fucking snuff film like really like not not that it was uh sensationalized at all it seemed very calm but it, that yeah. that knowing what we know from the end of that film is like that that was definitely a murder like that that was not voluntary yeah. Uh, yeah it was crazy i i would think i don't know yeah, and that's part of, because we don't know, because yeah. she was dying, supposedly, of an incurable disease, and the cult person helps bring people to terms with death and loss and grief in all their forms. So he was there, sort of like a pastor almost, sitting at her bedside and comforting her and comforting the loved ones around. That landed credibility to the whole message, which is what the best cults do, because you can't <laughs> tell until it's too late, you know, whether they're credible or, or we not. could tell. We were with I mean, Will the whole yeah. time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We, but, you know, everything's great until they bring out the flavor aid. Yeah. <laughs> I right. was like, they're literally about to drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Like, <laughs> I really liked the way the film, you've mentioned this already, a bunch of you, but just the way it bounced back and forth constantly between, Will is right, something's going on, and no, Will's just losing it. Everything's fine. Oh, Will is right. Every time it looked like the matter was settled, something else would happen something else would come up and you get to sit there and go, Oh, either. Oh, with relief 
or oh was i wrong for about four seconds and then something happens that's the thing i kept writing like is oh is will being gaslit this whole time is this all to like i i kind of looked at as like there's still manipulation going on but it's so much more sinister than suicide cult which is strange to say like this Mm -hmm. is they're making him relieve live trauma and then acting like nothing's wrong and yeah that somehow is psychologically worse than actually going after him and at at a certain point it was almost a relief when it was it wasn't even almost it was like when once there were knives and bullets flying like then it was like okay i can relax because i know what this is (laughs) yes it was comforting in a certain in a really weird sense but like when he finally has his outburst about Mm -hmm. Choi, where the fuck is Choi? Choi. Fuck is Choi. And the doorbell rings. I wrote down that if that's motherfucking Choi. (laughs) And it totally was. It it just, it plays that, it it dances on that line so delicately. And it it just, it it sings. It's really great. Yeah. Speaking of Choi and the voicemail, I don't know if this was on purpose because they know the area or if they just got lucky with the trope, but lots of that hilly terrain in and around Los Angeles, your cell signal is horribly inconsistent. I just, I went to a friend's house, depending on what neighborhood they're in or what room of the house we're in or what the last three results of Blackjack Hands in Vegas were, we either do or don't get signal for phone calls or texts or picture messages or some combination of the three. My mom, to this day, we get the best reception in front of our fridge, sometimes, unless we don't. We get none on the couch. She keeps the landline because otherwise, who knows? So that just constant in and out of, oh, I lost signal. Oh, I got it again. Eh, That's real. That's absolutely what it's like up there. So that moment when he finally gets a signal through and it gives him a voicemail from an hour ago. Yes, that's real. It happened to me constantly through high school, you know? Oh, we texted you. Oh, oh you did? Yeah, oh, okay. Four days later, oh, there's that message they texted me, you know? <laughs> it was all over the place. So that really added a lot of weight for me. But it also took away a little bit of the tropiness of the, oh, of course there's no cell signal, ha ha. Like, because yeah, that's just how it's like up there. And so, yeah, when everything is finally resolved and Michael goes and talks to him, and speaking of which, the friends were handled beautifully because they're his friends and they care about him. And they're also like, dude, you're being a jerk, but I also sympathize with your pain. And they handled that really well. And so they finished the conversation and he goes back in, just, just take it easy, everything's fine. And like, Will's finally just, he's been talked to by several friends and he's finally starting to come down on the side of, okay, maybe. And then the voicemail comes. And of course, it's right at that moment. Of course, it wasn't sooner or later, you know? It's brilliant. I think another, like, those really recognizable tropes of, like, we didn't get the landline hooked up because we've been gone two years and, like, the cell service. Like, I feel like you definitely recognize those as expositional dialogue Mm -hmm. as you're going through it. But I think that that's, that's definitely deliberate. It's like, here's the breadcrumbs of, okay, this is a classic setup to get you to the thing. But then it just it it just zigs and zags and plays with that the whole time, and it it it's it's made all the more dramatic and effective by planting those seeds of like this is how you set up a home invasion, like that that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, plus I think it wasn't just the writers who were doing that expositional dialogue; it was the characters. They had to justify right. to their guests yeah. why there was no landline, why there was no yeah. signal. So it kind of worked on both levels, and I feel like it made it less of a of a trope because it wasn't just like oh we just so happen to not have a signal it's like yeah. you know they were they were manipulating the situation to, to be in that situation so and then to add like the that, house yeah. remodeling that had been done since will had been there last 
It used to be his house. Right. Yeah. Like, why are the bars on the windows now? Well, yeah, because yeah, he hasn't been here in years. What right. does he know? Right. Right. Yeah. And the thing about the, I love that interaction between uh, Michael's the new husband, right? No, David's the new husband. David. Excuse yeah. me. Michael's like, in the blue shirt and he's gotcha. with the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I re- Miguel, right? It's Tommy and Miguel. Yeah. That's who it is. I'm sorry. It is Tommy and Miguel. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Where's Michael? Am I insane? Anyway. <laughs> I just really liked that interaction because it was like, of course, it's my fucking house. I'm going to lock the doors if I want to, right? But it was also right. like really needling to say, it's my house now. Like it, just that, yeah. that moment was so great and so crunchy and so epitomized. The, the unsaid bit of, and my wife too, <laughs> you know? And the idea that like, David looks a lot like a younger Will. Like that was so crazy is that you get those flashbacks and you see unshaven Will or shaved Will and then you've seen where he's progressed. And then you're like, is Eden, which is a fucking like metaphoric name and so, so almost ham-fisted, but I'm not mad at it. Like as soon as she came out with a white dress and her name's Eden, I'm like, okay, this is some shit. There's a statement being made here. But like, it, it just, is she the influence that is, is, is she twisting uh david into will like i it just it just established so many questions so early on just the similarity of those two men because he walks in through the shadows and he's this vague outline and you see hair very similar and then a beard and you're like same guy she's got a type like there's something here <laughs> maybe that's a good segue into our, our favorite scenes tim did you have one yes so i think yeah i guess this was kind of something i was thinking of talking about anyway um, I guess it's in the same topic of, um, you know, the way that like everything is so subtle. And I love that the, the climax of kind of like his paranoia before his final outburst is him watching the video in the office and how, again, how masterful it was, how subtle the message of the video was, you know, that it wasn't like, Oh yeah, bring a bunch of people together and we're all going to drink the Kool-Aid. It was like, Oh, we're all going to come together on this day and unity, Our faith you know, made real. right? Mm. You know, and it's it's all it's all optimistic, but but it's but it's still that that creepy optimism. Like they found this perfect way, and this was also something I wanted to bring up earlier too. Is that you know, again, and you know, Joel, you'll probably like this this segment of you know, again, it reminded me back of my new age days where <laughs> you know, like there would be like things I would go to, and I'm like. Oh God, am I going to make it out of here alive? Like this, this sounds like nice, but scary at the same time. Like, Oh God, like, should I leave right now? Like, you know, and, and, and it's, it's so weird how there is this sense of like something that people, some people can find, you know, and, and, and I, I do want to give the disclaimer. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that all people who are new age or in cults are all cults or, you know, or whatever, you know, like yeah. I'm sure there are, you know, uh, or, you know, and, and for, for the sake of being inclusive, well, let's r- lump religion into that too. People of all religions, you know, I feel like there can be good and bad people and it's also a movie and it's, it's fictional, but, but there is something to be said about how accurately they portrayed all of these people who are saying things that are so positive. And it's like, if what they're saying is so positive, why are we so off put by it? Like, why does it sound so creepy and so scary? And why am I wondering if I'm going to get out of here alive? Tonight, you know, and, and, um, and I feel like they kind of nailed that perfectly because, you know, again, like I've, I've been in those situations that have been sort of like willing participants in going to things like that. And, 
and I think one of the things, you know, certain things I've been to where there's been um, elements of, you know, especially when I was doing you know, music related stuff where, you know, there starts to be this almost like uh, like group trance thing happening. And it's like, oh my God, is this how they do it? Like, are they just like braining, brainwashing all of us with this music and with this thing? And I'm just going to do something I don't want to do because I'm being brainwashed and I'm, I'm aware of it. But I mean, you know, I feel like anyone who's being brainwashed, like, you know, you know, how does it work? Do you not have to know if you're being brainwashed or not? Or if you know you're being brainwashed, is it powerful enough to still brainwash? You know, so it was just like, like that part was also really creepy to me because it was just like, oh my God, I've been Will before, you know, where it's yeah. just like, like for some reason, all you people are comforted by this shit and it's the scariest shit I've ever heard. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, so, so I guess another part of it was that part where they're watching the video where it's just kind of like, you know, oh. Like, I, okay, like, I, I see why they think this is such a beautiful thing. Like, oh, this person died and she was, she had no fear. And, but it's just like, also like, yeah, but that's, that's like fucked up. Like, you know, and, and, and what's kind of interesting too is kind of like, you know, what Scott, what you said about him being almost like a pastor, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. like, so again, like there's, there's stuff like that that happens in, you know, major religions also where it's like, we're going to oversee the, the dead or dying. And it's just like, Hey, how about getting that person to a hospital instead of just sitting there and letting this happen? And I mean, you know, again, we don't know enough about her situation. What, you yeah. know, was she too far gone? Did she want to just die at home comfortably in her bed? And, you know, like I, I completely get that part of it. Um, but again, they're giving you just enough information to make it creepy. And what makes it more creepy is how how great of a thing the other characters think this is while you're looking at it as creepy makes it more creepy. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's like I, yeah, I feel like if, if this was as good a thing as you say, I wouldn't be scared right now, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that part of it, I think, like I said, struck a, a chord with me, you know, for that reason where it's like, you know, you know, and, and, and again, I would like to, I'm sure there are plenty of people who do, you know, certain, um, who have sort of alternate spiritual beliefs that don't fit into any major religion and, and it's not harmful. And they're, you know, again, I'm not trying to like judge across the board, but, but I, I do know, like I said, from my personal experience, and again, I fully don't know those people's intentions, the people who have, you know, creeped me out in the past, if maybe they are really good people and it's just my own conditioning, you know, from Hollywood or from, you know, growing up Catholic and being scared, me, being made to be scared of everything that is not Catholic, you know, that everything is a cult, you know, it's kind of like, okay, like, should I be worried about this or not? You know, and it's like, luckily, obviously, I've gotten out of any, every one of those situations. Um, <laughs> But, but who knows, like, I haven't kept up with a lot of those people. So maybe a bunch of them are dead now, too. I don't know. Like, maybe, you know, and, and that's part of it, too, is like, you kind of, you know, you, you get in this mindset where you're like, okay, this thing I've been taught since I was a child isn't working for me. I, I, I you know, is there something else out there that can sort of fill that gap? And, and you start kind of looking for things. And I think that's how a lot of them will draw these people in like, oh, these people with a hole, well, let's fill that hole. And they have this insecurity. Let's make them feel better about themselves. And luckily enough, like I said, I just felt more scared by any of that stuff to not get completely like roped into it. Mm -hmm. And I could see, and this was a perfect example of like, like kind of being that predator about people's grief, you know, like something where it's like, oh, you have grief that you can't deal with. I will fix it for you. It's like, no, like no one can just take your grief away. You know, it's like, and, and I think it's like, it's also kind of a testament too of like, um, you know, with Will, like he's meant to kind of be seen as the person who's the most a mess, 
but he's almost the person who's the healthiest because it's like he is feeling legitimate grief, which he has every right to. And it's been hard for him to get over that. And it should be. And that's okay. Whereas everyone else who's just like, yeah, we're just going to drink or, oh, I joined this cult. So I don't care about my son's death anymore. My pain was taken away. It's like, all of that is fucked up. Like Will is the one who has it the most together because he's like, yes, I'm owning my grief. Like this is- There are two moments where he brings that up right after the video at one point, because they're talking about like, oh, you don't have to feel sad. You can just be happy. And he says outright, like, that's nice if you can just pretend that it never happened and make it go away, but it was real and it happened and you can't erase him. And I feel this. And he, you know, yeah. And then later during his, right after his climactic outburst, when Troy shows up and everyone is staring at him and he just cries, you know, it, it sort of, it sort of brings out that he's been feeling it without knowing what he's feeling necessarily. And, you know, I think it comes up maybe with Tommy or that like, she's just doing it differently than him. And like, you need to be okay with that. But she's not dealing with it at all. (laughs) That's that's the problem. There's another move that, that moment, Tim, about him watching the video by himself is so it's another one of those things where it's like, this whole dinner is about will it, it, because we're seeing everything through its, his lens. It feels that way, but it's also like it, everybody else is incidental. Like if their goal is to get him to join the cult, this is the moment it happens. Mm. Like this is where he's the most vulnerable and looking for an answer. Mm. And you believe in that moment that like, maybe he, maybe he believes this and then they bring out Kool-Aid. So that that's, that's a red flag. Like it's literally red. Like, yeah. <laughs> So that was just like, it was, it was a real great centering moment again on that zigzaggy wave of like, is he crazy? Is this because he finally cries and breaks down and then he asks to see the the bedroom, Mm. son's bedroom, which it isn't a bedroom anymore. Yeah. It's finally, it all comes out. That's when he finds the video. Yeah. That, that bedroom colonized into the, the study was really, really stark contrast, really unsettling, really felt like, invasive and like encroached upon and the study felt sort of unused somehow yeah 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 the desk was very just like block of wood with legs like okay we paint it over because oh yeah look everything's normal we repurposed the room but like they still don't actually use it because it's not normal you know there's no new normal just the veneer yeah zeke what was your favorite scene um so i'll go second place is the ending um just seeing the lanterns i just you know, I really like the world building that's not shown on screen that just, you know, plays with your imaginations. I thought that was a beautiful way to wrap everything up and to, to get you thinking. Um, but at first place for me is the, is the Pruitt monologue, um, just because I think that's the first big explosion, right? You're riding this roller coaster of tension um, where everyone's a little bit uneasy with each other. You know, who's this guy? where did this lady come from? Why am I here? Why are we all back together? All those things, right? Everyone's kind of at odds and things get tense and then they cool down a little bit and then things get tense and then they cool down a little bit. Things get tense. Hey, let's play this game called I want and everyone's playing the game and it's all kind of a little bit pushing the boundaries, but it's, you know, everyone's starting to, everyone except Claire is starting to like feel at ease um, with everything and okay, we're having fun. We're all having a good time together. And then Pruitt stands up and says, I want to talk about my wife. And then the movie just takes such a turn there. Um, And, you know, like I said, the actor delivered that so well. Um, You just feel the mood of the movie change. So I think that one for me uh, is the favorite. Mine is definitely the ending. 
because I saw it coming. Like when they walk out and see that lantern and they're walking towards you looking at the lantern and them, it's yeah. like, this is not an isolated incident. This world is so much bigger and more sinister. There are hints scary. about that earlier in the film too. <laughs> you want yeah. to go back. And it, it was one of those great earth shattering moments. Like, and that, it, it, that's, that's the genesis of all those, those ideas of like, what, how, what does the world look like? Is this isolated? Is it just Hollywood? Or are we getting more like, is it, is it a world thing? It, it, it's, it was very much like how I felt at the end of us. Like my brain just could not stop firing of like, what does this world look like? How crazy. And it's just one of those, I, and that's the thing I, I didn't notice to, to count the lanterns. Cause I was just so like, so satisfied with the, well, satisfied is a weird way to talk about it. But just the idea <laughs> like, oh good. So many more people are dead. <laughs> intellectually satisfied in that this is like, this is not an isolated incident. This was organized. This was highly coordinated and successful. Like how many of those other houses, like they could do a whole series of films where it's the different houses yeah. of the invitation all the same night. You could do that like saw, like. <laughs> how many of them went smoothly? How many of them did not? <laughs> and there's, there's another moment that's one of my favorites is when they're about to drink the Kool-Aid and you have that moment where uh, Will goes and he sm smacks the stuff out of people's glass hands. Glass out of their hands, yeah. And you have that moment in your head, you're like, Clearly, this is the Kool-Aid in my, like, I know this is the point where they're trying to kill them with poison. Like, that's what I've decided in my mind. But I also have the, the really recent memory of he just had this massive outburst. And I doubted it. I doubted it in that moment. Because how crazy does it look that he's just swatting this wine out of their hands after yeah. just doing the same thing just a few moments earlier? Yeah. And, and Gina just, just rolls her eyes and knocks her back. Like, yeah. Okay, more of this. And that's Great. the thing. Like in that moment, I'm like trying to see who's drank, who's drank, who's going to be okay. Who's and then he starts. And that's the thing. My brain was telling me, whack him out of their hands, save him. Like this is the bad. This is. And he does. Like flag. he stops for a second and right. yells, and, and then goes back does. to knocking. <laughs> right. But that in that moment, like it made me doubt it. And that's that's the triumph of the film is that it it, it spends so much time defying your expectations and you don't know what's what. And in that moment, it, it, I was a millisecond before saying, stop them from drinking this. And then he was stopping them from drinking it. And I was like, oh my God, he's done it again. This is a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Now he looks crazy. Now he's the one, like it, it, oh. that moment was so sublime and so perfect. Like it, that was so good. <laughs> I love the reveal too. Like she's not breathing. Yes, she is. No, not her. And it was right. like, oh, yeah. like vindication, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. oh, and even uh, during that whole scene, the Miguel runs over there and says, "You have a first aid kit." And that's when David, who sort of isn't there, all there, like sort of blinks and comes to when he's asked if he has a first aid kit, and then very slowly, like, starts to leave the room. And what's actually happening is he's coming to terms with this not working and he's going to get the gun. Yep. But what it looks like to everyone else in the room is that he's shocked and he's slowly going to go get the first aid kit because he was asked to. And yeah, it's another brilliant, tiny detail. Oh, man. Another moment I love is that when Kira and Will are going to, they're making a plan about where to go next. There's a door upstairs. We're going to, yeah. he whispers it. It's not like he's dragging it along and she's following just out of like, they're making a plan. There's some whispered dialogue that tells you what they're going to try and do next. 
mm-hmm. many times you, it's like you're, you're running, you're tripping, you're somehow going the same direction just out of, and that, that was a great, it was a great scatter moment. Cause I had forgotten that uh, uh, Miguel was still alive or was it Tommy? I can't remember. Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, gets yeah. Tommy was still, desk. yeah. M- Miguel gets shot. So I had, Michael for some reason. Right. And I had forgotten that he was still alive because it was such a wild scramble and he went one direction and they went the other and we stayed with them. Mm -hmm. So when he showed up again, it was like, oh God, he's still alive. And that it really, it simulated kind of how that would feel to be right there with them. But it also had that little coordination moment between Will and uh, Kira. Like we have to go. Mm -hmm. Kira's a fucking trooper, by the way. Can we just talk about your your new boyfriend is going, like you're going to connect with these people you're going to his ex-wife's house where their son died like and then after like do we think they stay together because well i see a ride or die like literally right there with him even before everything goes crazy you know she doesn't like so many times when someone needs to isolate a character they have all that character's family and friends who've known them for decades like suddenly hate them like, oh, you did one kind of annoying thing. You're an asshole, you know. Uh. But Kira, like, she tries to play the piece a little bit. Like, Will, please. Like, ah, oh, Will, sit down. Or, okay, we're, we're going home. It's okay, everyone. Sorry, everybody. But when they get out there in the yard and sit down together, she's with him. She's on his side. She just holds his hand and says, you know, tell me. Like, let's talk. Like, she doesn't just immediately renounce her faith in him because it's that what's what the film calls for it's it felt like a real person with a real relationship right you know and, and that she like I'm, effectively spits in her face about it like i don't think you can right. help me well like right just fucking like oh. that was a great like real relationship i like that a lot but like and as soon as it's out of his mouth all this his uh, face changes and she just gets up and he says i'm sorry <laughs> oh yeah it felt real because she sticks with him even though he goes insane because she knew this was going to be hard for him and she yeah. knew what she was walking into and she's like well, she thought she did. And he said, yeah, I'm going to be here. I'm going to help you with this. That was great. All the relationships like that. Like I mentioned before about even all the old friends, because they used to know Will, but haven't seen him in forever. They're all clearly annoyed at his behavior, but also he's their friend and they kind of care about him. You know, there isn't just this immediate shift of the script decides that this needs to happen with all the relationships. It all felt like people weighing their past histories together in, in their minds. And when Kira, during the fighting too, when Kira takes care of Pruitt, she doesn't just sit there and scream or faint or hit him once and then look at the blood and drop her weapon. She fucking bashes his face in. And there's a fir- moment after the first hit where she's like sort of coming to terms with the new situation. And then he starts to move. So she hits him again. And then again. That scene is such a great foil to the opening scene with the coyote. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because that opening scene is so voyeuristic. And so because you see it from her perspective sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. And it's this thing like you're 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 She's a passive sort of participant a, in the standard woman character who isn't going to get her hands dirty. But then as the film right. goes on, it strips that apart. And it, it, it's almost like that parallel goes further than just that. It's the idea that like at that point, like we we see Pruitt as this animal, this yeah. dead-eyed like not not to say that animals don't have souls or anything, but like this this killer, this machinic mm-hmm. killer that she's. And when- Right before the last couple hits, he makes this howling roar that's not quite human. Yeah. That when they hit the coyote, I had forgotten that you told me that it started with a collision with an animal, Mm. like Get Out, until the moment it happened. Like, God damn it, it got between Get Out and what you're saying about us. I almost wonder if uh, 
oh my god i've forgotten his name jordan, jordan Peele? Peele. thank you jordan Peele. um if he saw the invitation and was inspired by it <laughs> well he was working on get out for 10 years yeah so but i i'm i'm sure he he, he he probably saw the invitation because it's a good horror movie and he likes good yeah, horror movies. He likes guitar. Thrillers or whatever. Like, yeah. I love the way the coyote comes back in the middle of the film too because there's that moment where is it David? He says, oh, you've got something on your sleeve and like, I'm not sure if it's lipstick or what. And you're like, oh, sorry, it's coyote blood. <laughs> Just, well, oh. no, Eden gets it off his face, doesn't she? She's yes, like, thank such you. a mess. Thank there's you. I am mixing that up. Cheek. And she wipes the blood away and he doesn't, he just like freezes maybe from the close contact, maybe from the blood on his neck. And yeah, she doesn't, cause she doesn't get it. doesn't click. There's another animalistic moment, like in the score almost. Cause when, when they're fighting, I think at one point, uh, I guess Pruitt's on the ground and there's this dark dog barking kind of like staccato rat-a-tat-tat thing going on. That was very, very jarring and very weird. Like this had a very weird, eclectic kind of soundtrack moving through it. Yeah, it reminded great. me, like it's not the only thing that reminded me of Planet of the Apes, but like when it started and it has that it sequence where it's it's these delayed, like the the slowed down images as they're going up to the house after mm-hmm. the coyote. Like though that music, that score sounded very Planet of the Apes esque. It was very unsettling and hits you. Right. Yeah. Places. Like it had this kind of very like organic like percussive sounds that didn't sound like actual drums or anything right. like almost like found object percussion yeah. yeah scott what was your favorite part oh i was hoping you'd forget that you hadn't asked me yet no. because i don't know i the whole <laughs> film i love every frame of it i just i really do and the the moment he gets the voicemail is brilliant yeah. I think that's when the film really pushes over the edge to the momentum picks up. It just never stops again. Um, I love the conversation with Kira where she's totally with him and on his side because they have a real relationship and she knows this is tough for him. And I love when Kira takes care of Pru. Again, I just, I love that the, the new girlfriend character was a fully realized person who also interacts fully with everybody throughout the film, you know, and, and act believably, I think. Mm-hmm. I just appreciate that a lot. And I really love the moment when Eden gets the blood off of Will's like neck, cheek, like off of his face, because I've had that sort of moment before where an ex or somebody leans in that way to suddenly touch you and not breaks like on that the end, barrier. but touches you somewhere right, breaks the barrier of intimacy and the like shock that goes up your spot. Will's body language is me in that exact moment. It's happened to me and that that's a moment where the film really connects. So I just branch out from that just into things I liked in general. I like that the, the whole killing we just see from Will's perspective. They don't do that thing where they cut away to every single grisly murder, like a, like a slasher flick. It's just what Will is and isn't seen. And so we don't necessarily see him them finish off Miguel. You know, we just hear more gunshots, right? And Sadie, who I guess killed herself, you know, finally just took what she wanted they find her just bloodied. She was trying to kill him the last time we saw her. She was freaking out and screeching and scratching at his face. And, and now she's it. just- You ruined it. Yes. And now she's lying up bleeding to death. Oh, like just that, that idea of, oh yeah, stuff is still happening in the rest of the house. Like this is, that, that added a nice, again, a real sense of place and reality to the whole film. And it has a lot of restraint in that scene too. Cause like, any other horror flick 101 is like you make you get close enough for her to stab you and then she stabs you 
Yeah. Right. Like for her to remain incapacitated long enough for him to take the, the mm. stoker, which is another We don't even thing. get a good look at her, her wounds either. They don't like, you know, right. pan the camera across her gruesome gouging. You know, it just, she's lying there covered in a lot of blood and there's a poker. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the thing. That home invasion sequence, that whole thing is, is not an example of everything that can go wrong, will go wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot goes wrong. But at the end, there's three survivors. Yeah. And a person, a woman of color, a gay man, and our protagonist. (laughs) Yeah. At a girl, (laughs) the director of this film, like, like it just defies a lot of those. Karen Kusama. Yeah, Yeah, she's outstanding. Like, well, she just she do Jennifer's body. Was that the other one we were talking about? She did. Yes. I really want to see that now after this. Like, (laughs) this is a masterful director, and I feel like. And she did Aeon Flux. Okay, that's earlier, right? Like that's early two thousand five. Yeah. Jennifer's body is 2009. Yeah. I'm really interested to see that now. Cause like if, if I went in to see Jennifer's body without any context of the director, I would think a very surface level, like horror movie. After seeing this, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm imagining she's going to flip that genre on its head. Those tropes, my expectations for that. <laughs> like I'm, and I mean, I've heard good things about that film. It's, it's not like it was maligned or anything, but it just, initially presented like this idea like the the themes of it seemed very strange and not something i would have latched onto. but now i'm like mm-hmm. i'm ready to see it like yeah i saw it forever ago in high school but i yeah i need to give it another look for sure for sure but i the thing about yeah tommy's still alive like eventually yeah. we just kind of assume will and kira are the only two left but at the end, he shows up again because, yeah, the, stuff, it's, the world is still turning outside of what, what we're seeing in frame, you know. Things are still happening. It's great. And they, even the, the killers, they don't, it's not about the murder and the torture. It's about the whole point is, you know, rapture, or, you know, releasing from the pain of life or whatever. And they, when they kill Ben in the backyard, you know, uh, David gets him with a knife, but then Pruitt comes up and finishes him with a gun because you're not supposed to suffer. That's the point. You know, it's supposed to be done. And that uses up their, one of their precious bullets, which again, right. if, if you're thinking about, oh yeah, I'm going to work through this house and kill everyone, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd just be taking the knife and finishing him and then moving on. Right. But that's not the point. You know, it, that remained consistent. Even when the film exploded into murder, the motivations remained consistent. It's a nice touch. Even Pruitt's whole thing about when he's choking Will, you know, it's it's okay. You can just let it go. You don't have to. The pain can go away. And that's the most efficient us. way for him to do it. Like it's not right. overly. There's nothing I mean, else in the room that's going to do that faster or less painfully. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like after he he talks about killing his wife with one punch and then her hitting something. Like when he wheels back and punch, you really feel like you flinch at those yeah. impacts. Because he hits yeah. both of them, and that 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 really was scary. Because like this dude's a brute; he's a big dude, and he's he's done it before with just his fist. I, I was wondering if we could introduce a new segment to the uh, first impressions, favorite scene sequence mm-hmm. um, of discussion topics. Do we have least favorite scenes, Tim? I think yours would probably be the continuity error of the lanterns at the end. <laughs> Well, no, and I don't think it's a continuity. I think it's more just, it was the angle which allowed us to see less than the first time. So, yeah, so I don't think it's like an error in in continuity. I think, you know, and again, like I said, I think the, in the first one, we're seeing it more from Will's point of view, right? But then the second one, we see Will and 
his girlfriend. So it's a little bit kind of tighter on them. Tommy, yeah. Yeah. So like, so, so I, I, I sort of got that is that it was the more of the kind of the, the, the focus on them, um, which, oh, that was another comment I wanted to make. That, that scene reminded me a little bit of the end of Fight Club. <laughs> when, uh, when he and Marla are just like watching the world burn and totally just like does. reaches and takes her hand, I was just like, "Oh yeah, all right." You met me at a very strange part of the period. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I was expecting to see the single frame of a huge dick in front of the in front of my face, but that didn't happen. That's, so that was my way. I was disappointed that they didn't have the dick to really make it be like this is a Fight Club reference. <laughs> but but no, and, and that was the thing is like, that was, that was more me. I think it was more my OCD of just like, again, like how many lanterns are there? I need to count. So I need to kind of have this number in my head of how big of an, of an uh, event this was. And then seeing the other scene, because I think if I didn't stop and count until I, they show it the second time and I counted there and then went back and saw that there were more earlier. Um, plus again, it is, I think more kind of my, my, my composer's brain and sort of, you know, form in terms of that, in terms, in terms of like, you know, I guess building intensity and and you know so maybe there was a reason to back off of that intensity to be like there are 14 lanterns no there are nine lanterns um but you know but in in my head i'm thinking give a little bit oh look here's a few more lanterns oh man that's messed up let's show it again oh man there were 20 lanterns like you know that's kind of how like in my head i think what i was expecting was the second time they show it to see more lanterns to show that it was an even bigger catastrophe and an even bigger tragedy but then, but again, like I said, then at that point, we're focusing on the people. So that could have been part of it. I, you know, so I'm, I'm not saying again, it was like, oh, it was a bad choice on the director's part. It was just kind of what, what I was expecting based on that. We see one lantern, we see more lanterns. The next step to me would have been even more, more lanterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was interesting too. One of the things that I thought back about, which maybe this is also something that maybe I would could say least favorite is that you, the fact that you're hearing more like more gunshots and screams it's almost like oh look it didn't go that well for more people but to me that kind of took away some of the creepiness level that there were more people fighting back as opposed to if it had just been of all of these lanterns there were only three survivors you know as opposed to maybe at this lantern there's a few and this lantern there's a few and this lantern, you know um so i think that would have yeah that would have been creepier if it was silent you know, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh man, like out of all these, yeah, out of all these lanterns, only three survivors, but it was a little more, even though it sounded more chaotic because we got more sirens and helicopters, that also meant it was more hopeful, which is, mm-hmm. which is good from a human perspective. But as far as from a horror perspective, I think it would have been creepier. Yeah. Like you said, the silence of everywhere else, this went right to plan. So everyone died except these people, you know. Um, and again, I'm not saying there should have been silence there, but right. I feel like for me, it yeah, it would have been creepier in this moment to be like, oh shit, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, or, or being more ridiculous about it if they panned out even farther and you see all across California, which I know if you're that far away, you wouldn't see those tiny lanterns, but it was almost like, how far can we pan out and still see red lanterns all right. over the place, you know? Um, but again, that's just, you know, I mean, you can, you can infer that, you know, you can say, oh, if this is all happening here, where else is this happening? Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think you can, you can get that from your imagination. But, um, but again, I, I don't know that I would go as far as say it's my least favorite part of it. It was more a little thing that, again, like where my expectation went in a different direction. But, um, but yeah, other than that, I don't think I have a least favorite part because I feel like so much of it was like spot on. Right. Um, 
I mean, all the stuff that made me uncomfortable was supposed to be uncomfortable. Like the like like what's his face? The guy when he, when he gives the speech about his wife. You know, I remember that part being like, oh god, this is taking so long. But I also feel like, yeah, like that's that's sort of the point. You're we haven't really heard much from this guy, and now we're hearing the one thing that he shouldn't be telling a room full of strangers. Okay, I hate this. You know, like <laughs> you know, if, if you were uncomfortable before, now it's going to get really uncomfortable. Um, so I guess I love that I hated that part. You know, like that was the point. I get that. You know, uh, but yeah, it also sort of I think made a, a it was almost like a shift of power at that point too because I feel like I, I still felt relatively safe because there were enough of the friends there and this guy was still quiet in the background enough that I didn't feel as scared. And that was the point where I think I definitely felt more scared for them because it was just like, I don't care how many other people there are, just the fact that this guy's here, like he could, he could take out everybody, you know? Yeah, right. um, but again, I wouldn't call that a least favorite part because I think it did what it was supposed to and made it like fucked up. Gotcha. Sorry, I'm not. I wasn't trying to make a uh, like a shit on the film. No, segment, not at right? all. Just no. trying to to stimulate conversation, and because sometimes we have those conversations where it's like we love it, we love it, we love it, but we don't yeah. talk about it in any kind of yeah. adverse yeah. tone. Mm-hmm. See, what about you? I didn't have one. No, um, or just nothing that's coming to mind. But uh, I don't know. Did you have one that inspired you to queue up the question, or it, it was more just kind of we were. <laughs> It says, let's, let's not suck the, the ghost of his dick too much, that Rick and Morty thing. Um, <laughs> just like, just, just trying to think of it from a, a so that I, I thought was interesting and I kind of didn't go anywhere. And it, it's, it's, it's a loose thread, but it's not one that you pick at it and it ruffles the whole Afghan. But yeah. the idea that um, they're drinking that really expensive wine. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the the plot device that they're using with that is like, okay, is this the Kool-Aid? Which is what I thought is like, you, you notice Will doesn't drink it for mm-hmm. the whole movie. Like he's having water. He's not wanting to get intoxicated for other reasons, but you also notice he's the only one who's not drinking that. So what a what an easy way to have delivered the Kool-Aid if they had used that, but they don't. And I think it's deliberate because they want to show the video, have their pitch and give them an opportunity to, to opt in willingly. To opt yeah. in willingly, um, which uh, at the end it, it doesn't matter. They're gonna do it anyway. They're they see themselves as freeing these people. So that that was another like not not so much a, a a problem with the film or something I didn't like, but it was it was one of those things at the end. I was like, that was a little uh, a, a false trail that that they sent yeah. me down, and I was I was mad that it's like oh that didn't end up being significant because that's the thing I was I was taking notes the whole time trying to. Because everything feels significant, and it's that kind of film where you're 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 following all these different routes, and when some of them don't pan out, it was a little not disappointing, but it's like I was paying attention to the fact that they weren't all drinking the wine, and that wasn't significant other than to to make me think it was. So, I, I mean, saw on IMDb, like one of the few, like there's I think three trivia things with spoilers, but anyway, one of them is just that throughout the movie they serve the wine from the bottle and only at the very end, they serve it from a decanter um, right. as a way to say mm. the poisons in the decanter. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but I yeah. think I, to me, I think the wine is just like, Holy shit, that's an expensive right. bottle of wine. Let's get everyone drinking it. Like, wow, they're providing, you know, this fancy also a way wine to keep them us. there. Right. Like, right. Least... Yeah. But that's a good point though, to think about like who would turn down the expensive wine. Right. And like, does that, 
end up say, or, you know, I mean, like you said, that's something, something that would be laid out in a way that would make you want to. Well, well, that was one of the things too, is doesn't Will eventually start drinking the wine? Like at one point, I feel like they give him a glass and he's like, all right, fine. I so I almost offered, feel like, I don't know if I see, I, I don't remember him seeing him drink it, but I know he took it at one point. Right. And then I think okay. he yelled at everybody. I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure. I might not have, at that point, it, it seemed like I was, I was on, on the side of my brain that believed that he was crazy. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't paying right, right. as much yeah. attention yeah. at that point. Popped again. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what I saw that as is like, oh, if we're going to just serve all this, this, this Kool-Aid and someone's like, no, thank you. It's like, oh shit. Like that means that they're going to be left and be like, what the hell's going on here? As opposed to like, you know, the, the thing being to like, to get everyone drinking. And once we know everyone's drinking, okay, now we can present this and we know that it's going to, you know, you know, and it was definitely like, it looked like a different color too. It was almost more like a, like a brandy than, than the red wine, right. you know. That was also part of me, like thinking they were vampires initially. Cause I didn't know what the thing was. I was just looking right. for whatever horror trope or whatever. So it's like, this very old vintage, very expensive red wine. So it's like, are they, is it blood? How, how does that all work into it? So, and that, that's not a fault of the film, but it definitely like, they were laying, laying little, little false trails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there was the blood on his cheek. And then, so it's like, you're right. kind of like, oh, is she going to lick it off of her finger? You know, it's like, I think that was definitely something that I, that I kind of saw with like, you know, yeah, like the, the role that just like, blood had played up to that point you know because that was one of the things i remember thinking like well of course me and my ocd brain when he's like you know outside the car and then he's pushing his hair back i was like oh don't touch your hair in your face (laughs) (laughs) you know but then it's like how is he so clean it's like oh he's not there is like you know my least favorite scene again comes from less from the film itself more from from me like all of you but it's the the i want when things start getting kind of sexual oh yeah because i just I feel like more people should have been uncomfortable, not just Claire, you know, like that felt like the type of thing that happens to high schoolers or college students, you know, where they're all dicking around and drinking and then someone says, oh, we should play strip poker. That would be fun, you know, and then things go like, but, you know, now they're all old enough that they're lots of them are married and in long careers and will had and lost a kid. Right. And Maybe they're all sort of chuckling because like they used to be that way when they were younger because they were friends for a long time. Maybe they, they at least should have been glanced at each other kind of like not sure what to do. But Claire is the only one and that has bothered me since I first watched the film. Gotcha. Like, like really? Like how old are y'all? Like are y'all okay See, with that? I, I, I felt that scene was justified because it, it seemed like they just watched the snuff film, right? Yeah, so, so they don't want to interrupt whatever new happier thing is going on. But it was also like they're back on their cult shit, so let's make fun of it and then make it sexual. But that's also belying a certain like internal immaturity and proclivity for like I, I I didn't have as much a problem with that. I, I I'm shitting on my own segment, <laughs> but no, I I I see what you mean though. It did definitely seemed of. It seemed nostalgic in a certain sense, where it's like yeah. maybe that's the kind of joke they would have made two years ago, before, or like that's the kind of game they would have played when they had started We're all being happy friends. together, right? Exactly. Right. And it was comfortable in that sense, and like I also thought it was weird and convenient that he had the coke because, like, I thought right? that was his deal before he joined the cult, and his the cult was in Mexico, and I thought that's where they met. So it's like, why would you be like, I'm cured of this cocaine addiction, but I'm going to bring it to the house just in case. Or is that just sort of a personality flaw of his, is that even though he's 
in this whole thing. You know, and it ties better, into the, you know, the whole game of I want and the expensive wine conversation about, wow, you brought this out for us. Like, oh, these are meant to be enjoyed. That they've all just latched on to a stop being happy, being sad, be as happy, do all the things you want to do because you're going to die soon anyway. Right. Like the, the lack of long-term consequences is, again, hinted at there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at, at the time, it's just bizarre. Like what isn't like you said? Isn't that what you went to get cured of? Like why did yeah. you just suddenly bring it out in front of these people you just met with your new wife? Like, huh? But and it ties in later, but it, it's really out of place at the time. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm really glad you all like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. It really it it does what good home invasion films do, like like funny games, like us. That the it idea. Well, I don't know if us does this so much, but funny games really. And I don't, not everybody's seen that. I think it's just me and Scott who's seen funny games, but it really leans on the conventions of society, of hospitality, of inviting people into your home, of mm-hmm. the social structures that prevent people from saying being no. violent or yeah. being saying no or being rude or perceived to be rude, even when they're uncomfortable. And then and Funny this, Games takes it a step further to right. challenge the audience's conventions. You're goddamn right it does. Hanky is a fucking twisted genius. But this, this film really does a great job of just pushing those social boundaries enough. Like these, these are all, maybe with the exception of the, I killed my wife by punching her and I'm no longer feeling like that. That's particularly dark and maybe more turned up than any of these would have. Like, but these are all kind of, the social contrivances that you would just kind of grin and bear through a, a dinner party mm-hmm. and, and it leads to suicide cult at the end. Like yeah. it, it does a really good job of kind of showcasing the human need for community and also what, what we're willing to uh, put up with in, in, in the name of decorum, whatever we define that up as. I thought that was something that's that's that good home invasion films do that that there's this idea of this sanctum that this is a comfortable space and any little kind of uncomfortable thing can be overcome or grinned and bared with and then we move on to something that was something that was so interesting to me is that after Pruitt gives his story they go and have dinner they haven't even had dinner yet at that point yeah so it's just such an interest like that's all foreplay like it, it's really interesting that when they get to dinner, that is a whole different interaction. It, it's just really, really interesting. I also love that the dinner itself we basically miss. Right. Because there's some conversation. It's like a montage. Will wasn't much part of it, and despite film's love of talking over food, <laughs> the dinner is good. People don't talk. They eat. You know, they chat a little. So that. Like, oh, yeah, the dinner happened. We ate the food. There was some idle chat. But nothing happened. Nothing changed. Nothing progressed. I do love, though, how they showed sort of his, his perception of everyone eating and, like, how barbaric it seemed and how, like, it was a focus mm. on all the noises of, like, them eating. and like, It felt like you mother. Know, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> very visceral, very cannibalistic. And that was the other thing. It's like, yeah. is it people? Are they eating people? Is it Soylent Green? Soylent. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Is it, is it the coyote? Right? <laughs> it's just really animalistic and and scary in that moment too. Yeah. And you know, I wonder too, like in my my sort of need to to make connections and find metaphor where maybe there wasn't intended to be metaphor. 
I, you know, I was trying to look at it also from a point of view of, um, you know, uh, again, we look at sort of cults as one thing where kind of cult is a dirty word, but, but religion is okay. And somehow like, you know, to some people, I mean, not, not to all people, because plenty of people, you know, myself included, don't, don't like the idea of religions either. Like, you know, and, and, and again, there are, there are people who can take ideas and do good things with them and people who can take ideas, do bad things with them. But the idea of, you know, this, it was like, we're going to try to recruit you, but if that doesn't work, we're going to kill you, you know? And, and, and it was kind of like, you know, I, I started to wonder, is this supposed to be like a, a statement on sort of like, uh, uh, um, um, missionaries and, you know, the idea of, or, you know, come to America, you know, come into our home and you can either live like us or we'll be like, fuck you, you don't belong here, you know? And, you know, this sense of like, hmm. again, it, it wasn't a traditional sense of the, you know, and I know we, and that was one of the things that I thought of, you know, the, you know, I know we've used the term home invasion for this movie, but it's like the anti home invasion, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite of that. And it's like, so there is that sense of like, you know, we're, we're going to bring you in here, but you, we're bringing you in here to make you a prisoner unless you think and do the way we do. And then, you know, and I guess either way, the outcome is the same, but like, you know, it's, it's not that, I guess my point being, it's not that other religions don't do that. Don't try to recruit people and try to reform people and try to, um, and then if, if you choose not to see things the way we do, we're going to see you as a villain, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how the, um, you know, they, they, they first try to sell you with this sense of, of look how happy we all are. And it's like, but, but you're not really happy. You're just in denial about all the things that are actually bad, you know, and, and that that's, wow. I feel like is a big part of it too, is that, you know, they're, you know, or, 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 or okay, not not always in denial or ignorant of what's actually wrong, you know, in right. terms of that, you know, that it's not, it's, you know, it's, I think it's very, very seldom that people are um, acknowledging everything and still, despite all that, everything is okay. You know, it's not, I can scroll through my Facebook feed and I'm still in, a, in a, a good mood. It's like, no, you either scroll through your Facebook feed and you're in a bad mood or you don't scroll your Facebook feed and maybe you're in a good mood, you know? So, so again, you're either kind of being ignorant or, or, or avoiding it, you know, to find that sort of quote unquote peace and that sort of, you know, and, and, and I love how they show that it is this fake sense of peace because in that scene in the kitchen when so-and-so, the other guy says something and she slaps him. Like if yeah. she were really at peace with her beliefs and what it is, she would be like, okay, <laughs> like wouldn't have bothered yeah. her. right. Yeah. You know, but it's the fact that it's like, this is the thing that I'm clinging to that's holding me together. And if I realize that this is fake, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Well, again, <laughs> either way I'm going to, you know? Yeah. And, and he I think that's, we insulted it. Yeah. Yeah. Just without realizing what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that metaphor a lot. You know, I think some of the, the greatest horror films are really definitely a commentary on society i mean dawn of the dead is about consumerism and how we've become zombies i mean halloween is is this idea that there are predators in the in suburbia like there's there there are these movements and through horror that are definitely a response to like the status quo and and comfortability and and this kind of I mean that, that Jason is a response. Like you go to, away to summer camp and everything's fine. Like th there's, <laughs> there's this uh, idyllic location that you've repurposed, and doesn't matter who was there before you or like what you've done to nature while you're there. And then there, I mean, it's also a response to like teenage proclivity and the, the all like the sexually charged stuff and those things. But like 
good horror tends to be in response to a larger it's it's a way of processing larger political problems and i i like that lens a lot that that i didn't think about that to start but it's i definitely could see that as an analog for america grief tackles trauma tackles religion tackles coping methods how people live with things tackles friendships i love it is it time joel (laughs) yeah yeah i guess it is time and i'll put it right here it is it is time for another situational movie (laughs) recommendation um so for this month's situational movie recommendation which i just said in the the (laughs) lovely theme composed by I guess it would be co-composed by me, Scott, and Tim, since right. we said I was the slowly. orchestrator. We need you to do it again and get Zeke in there. Yeah. We gotta do the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> Zeke's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> um, I don't have that kind of talent. <laughs> so I, I was thinking, with, uh, in keeping with the, the kind of theme of upping the ante at the end of this film, um, I, I, I kind of conceived of it as like world-shattering or like world making the the world of the film bigger kind of that engendering imagination so what would be a film that you would watch for that kind of ending something that widens the the scope of the film so dramatically that it it, it's like that final upping the ante mind-blowing type moment what would be your film that does that for you that you like silence (laughs) um i think i have one um i i I want to make sure I got the title right because I feel like there are a bunch of horror films that have titles like this. Um, I think it's Cabin in the Woods. Is that the the Joss Whedon yep. one? Where okay, yes, that one. Because have you all seen that? No, I haven't okay, seen it. But I, they have. Just go go ahead. It's fine. Are you sure? Okay. So I'm going to see I, it at some point. I'm sure yeah. I'm going to love it. So well, first of all, like how I mean, through the whole thing, you can kind of tell that it's sort of making fun of the idea of horror films, but the fact that it's sort of like turn those tropes into this sort of device for you know like sort of worshiping this 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 demon god or whatever it is but the fact that like the whole point of it is that they they stop the the ceremony which leads to the end of the world which i'm just like oh my god like what movie does that what movie ends with just like oh yeah like you know even though this was a horrible thing we were trying to make happen we were trying to do this to you know, give a sacrifice to this monster and save the world. And because you defeated it, now the world's going to end. And it's, I, so I guess maybe that's sort of contrary to your, 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 your recommendation, because it's like, there is no world left to build, but, um, you know, we there kind is of no world start to build. That's such a yeah. great phrase, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it starts at the beginning of that, where it was like, there's this hole in the ground, you see the giant hand come up out of it or, or whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, like I want to, I want to watch what happens next, you know, even though it may not last very long. Um, it reminded me a lot of, I don't know if any of you have seen the show Angel by Joss Whedon, where it ends with this like cliffhanger where they're about to start this epic battle. And he's like, I kind of want to slay the dragon. And then boom, the series is done, you know? And it's like, holy shit. But it's like, you know, for me, like those two endings, especially in other endings like this, like it just, it stays with you because they, you know, because they leave it so open-ended like that, yet it still is an ending to the story they were telling. Um, so yeah, it's like, I, I, I want to see what happens next. I want to see like how long that whole ordeal takes. And, and you know, is there, is there a story there? Is it something that happens instantaneously? But, but yeah, as far as movies go, that was one of the 
the endings that's made me the most intrigued about like you know again i guess not so much about world building and there's much of the world left to take place after that but just uh yeah like i felt and i guess that's part of the point you know in, in a way like not like i felt robbed but it was just like oh my god like this is just getting good like show me more show me more you know so that's that's something i would love to see yeah just because i feel like that's it, it almost gets into like a like a godzilla type territory almost where it's like okay here's this giant monster how are you going to stop it you know and how big they were thinking this would be if it's not like you know oh there's just a monster maybe we can fight it or if it's just like no it's just a matter of time and then it's all gone you know uh i had to do a little jogging of the memory research um but i think i might go with gone girl uh you know fantastic book fantastic movie and just the, the end of it right like after uh nick and amy have gone through so much um you know you I, mean, I don't know if i spoil it but it, it ends in a way where they have to he has to stay with her and you know i mean if you've seen it or read it like just the amount of shit that they went through on like a psychological like almost torturing level you know for it to end with like what's their life going to be like now as they have to pretend to be this happy family you know that you know makes you think about what that looks like um that is the definition of a film that was awful but good because the film is phenomenally made but the whole experience of watching it is awful and <laughs> so painful just like oh oh why did i do this i hated that never again you know but then you exactly. look back and go and then the ending's not even a happy ending not right? even happy like, it's just like oh wow even worse how did we get but man every every performance every word every every shot was just perfect mm-hmm. yeah. executed agreed yeah <laughs> so that's one that you know you leave thinking about it and then another one i came across I haven't seen this one in a really long time, but uh, Fallen by uh, Denzel. Denzel. Oh, Bennett. yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy ending, too. Um, quick summary there. So he's a detective who is uh, tracking down a serial killer. Um, you know, one ser- serial killer has been executed, and then there's a copycat killer. So he's tracking that killer. Turns out that that killer is possessed by uh, a demon spirit, more or less. And then... Um, the movie ends with Denzel thinks he's defeated this demon. Uh, he has not defeated the demon. Um, the demon has jumped somewhere else and uh, in, into a cat. I don't know. I've already spoiled it. So the demon goes into a cat. Why not just finish the job? He's made the final leap home. <laughs> exactly. Demon quantum leap. <laughs> that so sounds good. That's another one. It's a really good Supernatural one. Supernatural Denzel. That's like, that's yeah. a selling point yeah. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I it's think got that's John a, Goodman in it too. He's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's an early one for me. Like it came out in 98, saw it. Um, I don't know. It must've been youngish. Like I didn't see it probably right when it came out, but on DVD, you know, on VHS for sure, not DVD um, at some point <laughs> later. And, you know, I think it was just an early world building kind of twist for me where I was like, holy shit, I thought the movie was over and then that thing happened. So uh, those are my two breaking the rules. I'm not sure I have a good answer for you, Joel. I you never must... do. You always preface it with that, and then we talk for 45 minutes about yours because <laughs> they are actually good. So stop burying well, the lead. Okay, I mean, in this case, it's because I don't have an answer about an ending twist that opened up the world. I get much more frustrated with films that introduce these brilliant <laughs> worlds. Yes, like Pacific Rim, for example. We see the end of the years of human kaiju fight. 
I want to see what, what do global politics look like with the different countries having no choice but to unite behind the single effort? What are the first Jaegers? How did we develop the extra? I want to see all that, you know, take me back, right? And, and they set all that up in the first 10 minutes of the film, so it's not a twist or anything. But that's, that's the type of thing that I obsess over. And I know we've talked about this before, about TV shows do it too, a lot, that they, they set up a rich, interesting world, and then they show us just the, the, no, um, the historically important bits. You know, and I, it's like, I don't want that. I don't want to know what it's like to exist in this world day to day that you've made me so interested in. You know, instead you showed me the end of the war or, uh, you know, the, the transition from one section, to the derailing of the train or what have you, right? Like mm -hmm. you lay out all this rich history and then- You want to know the conductor's personal lives. Yeah, you cram yeah. it down into five minutes of exposition and then tell me your other story. And, and everything does that, everything. So that's, that's my answer, almost everything. <laughs> no, I, but yeah, stuff like that, for sure. Gotcha. I, mean, I mean, I think I talked about mine, but like the original Planet of the Apes has arguably the best ending, most mm -hmm. shattering ending of any movie of all time for me. I seeing that for the first time broke my fucking brain and <laughs> every time I watch it and I, I I think I talked about this on a previous podcast like I got to watch that ending with Tyna my partner for the first time she didn't know it was coming oh, and it man. was like watching it again for the first time for me because she didn't know I was like oh god oh god it's coming like that that ending just so and it plants seeds the whole way like this could be, this could be, this could be. And I don't want to, I mean, we've all seen it, right? Yeah. So it, it's just like, this could be Earth. This could be Earth. How could this be Earth? And then it definitely is. And it's just so, it's what, a, like, Charlton Heston, I like as an actor. People don't like him classically as an actor because he's kind of ridiculous and over, overly overacts, I guess. But I, I think that you blew it all to hell damn you all to hell thing is just so indicative of what that feeling is like and how how irrevocably broken his sense of history and hope is at that moment he didn't get sent to another planet he's he on his own <laughs> and we we fucked it and the 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 ending to us did the same kind of thing it was the same kind of epoch shattering ending mm for me and i mean zeke was there he can attest we we had the car ride home we saw that movie together and we we listened to our friend alice complain about the film because she didn't like it and then we dropped her off and we had a conversation that was a lot more <laughs> enjoyable <laughs> and just just that the implications of that world that peel built in that film just lit a fire in my brain and i thought about it for a long time afterwards this is a good ep like I, I I really like this movie, Scott. I, yeah. And we're two for yeah, two for right. female directed films. So Yeah. Don't fuck it up, Tim. Well, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Technically it's gonna be three for three. Yep. Technically? Wachowski's Oh. I mean at the time it was directed, they were male. They had now they're females, so does that does that they they are female directors. Um so is that, is that the segue into my next yes. pick? Okay. <laughs> so my next pick will be Matrix Revolutions to finish the cycle. Well, finish the, the trilogy, I should say, since the cycle will not be finished. It will be reopened next year sometime. Um, 
So yeah, and those of you who have been listening, I mean, that was my pick last time was Reloaded to kind of continue the, the trilogy and to finish mm-hmm. it. Um, and in the, in the style of, you know, how the trilogy was released itself, where we had one, waited a long time, and then had two, six months later, three, you know, we're doing, <laughs> you know, one about a year or two ago, and then, you know, two, and then three. So, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, with this, the discussion like we did last time will open the door to the discussion for John Wick 3. Um, oh, it know, definitely will, like, since yeah, now we've all seen it, and I have thoughts. Yeah, many thoughts. Um, maybe we can even have a little sexual we speculate about Matrix 4 and John Wick 4. Who knows? But yeah, I'm just, I'm, I mean, because wait, I, I always forget too, because I feel like some of you started it but didn't finish it. Some of you seen it once. You know, so what's, what's your record with Reloaded? Or for Revolutions, you mean? Revolutions, yeah, sorry. I've seen it twice, okay. maybe three times. About Zeke I've never Sky. seen it. Okay. I know the big character death, but I've never seen it. Okay. I saw Matrix and then Matrix Reloaded when they came out, and then I've never seen Revolutions. So oh, okay. Oh, damn, I didn't know so we have two virgins. Okay. <laughs> so it might be quiet on their end and you and I fighting for right. <laughs> two and a half hours. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's interesting, too. Like, I think it's it was kind of like with, uh, I forget what other movie I brought where I kind of wanted there to be this spectrum of, I've seen it a bunch of times. I think one of you had seen it once, the other one hadn't seen it. So we're kind of all, oh, uh, Firefly. Yeah. I remember with Firefly, I was glad yeah. that it was a smattering of the, yeah, Serenity, that you know I had seen the whole series, Scott had seen some of it, you had seen none of it. So it was cool to have those different perspectives. So I'm interested to see with you know me seeing as many times as I've had Joel seeing it only twice and the two of you not having seen it, you know, how that's gonna make different perspectives and conversation and things like that. Um, Zeke had seen it, so I'm 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 interested. It's that's I knew Scott hadn't, so it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. And uh yeah. So I'm I'll, I'll be excited obviously because it's part of my <laughs> favorite trilogy. And it's it's interesting too. Maybe we'll get into also kind of like because one of the things I do acknowledge a lot of the, the flaws that are there, there are certain things in, in the trilogy that it's like, you know, sometimes I've seen justifications for, oh, well, this is like this for this reason. It's like, okay, like that might be valid or it might be you're making excuses, but, but there are definite things where I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, this is definitely this. So it'll be interesting to talk about that again as a trilogy, you know, whereas now it's like, okay, if you guys haven't seen the third part, we can't really dig into the entire arc you know um and i feel like that's probably something that happened to a lot of people they loved the first one saw the second one didn't like it and never bothered with the third um but i feel like after you see the third it does put a different perspective on the whole trilogy again maybe maybe that's just making excuses but i think it is um you know and i mean it's interesting too because i'm sure nobody saw a new hope and then empire strikes back and hated empire strikes back and never watched return of the jedi you know so it's like you you probably can't compare that to other trilogies where after the part two which was intended to be a middle part they were you know they they didn't go further so it's like um yeah it's interesting that uh you know i think maybe in that sense it is kind of a very much a a a true trilogy like you can't watch part two in isolation like it needs to resolve in the next movie um however whether or not you think it's an effective resolution of part two is another story in and of itself um so yeah we can talk about all that so 
yeah, this might be a really long ass podcast because we're gonna hit you know, the Matrix Revolutions, John Wick three, and the Matrix trilogy, and the John Wick trilogy, and then what's part four gonna feel like? <laughs> when Bill and Ted show up and kidnap both both John Wick yeah, and Neo you to come help them with yeah. whatever they're dealing with. If that doesn't happen, I'm gonna riot. <laughs> By the way, have you seen the trailer for Bill and Ted three? Yep. Oh no. Oh, I can't wait. I still haven't seen Bogus Adventure. Same. I actually like that one better. That's just really? me. I, yeah. I really liked uh, the first one. I was really surprised. Yeah, it was, like, it's I, good. I, but I like, like it as a, a model for time travel. Like It's, it's one mm-hmm. of the most circular and tightly wound one. Mm-hmm. So, not excited for that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to bring a, a, a close to the, the Matrix saga. Mm-hmm. For now. And then we'll move right, on to yeah. Fight Club for the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've known what your game plan was I know, for the I, last yeah. year. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, I get three picks this year. It's this, this, this. Done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is good. I'm glad you all liked the invitation. I really yeah. am. Um, and we had some really wonderful discussion this time around. I, I do like the idea of least favorite section of the film, Joel. Uh, you maybe you picked a film we all liked to start, yeah. start it with, so maybe. Well, that was the that was the impetus I, for it. Is like when yeah. we, we are just saying we like it, we like it, we like it. It might challenge us yeah. to, to go. In yeah, I, I liked it. Makes yeah. us branch well, out. It'll be a fun segment next week when we get to the Matrix Revolutions, and it's like cool. I'll get here. That's all on purpose, silently. No, I'm looking Here's why your it. movie tastes suck. No, I, no <laughs> I, I have been looking forward to having this discussion with you in front of witnesses for a long time. <laughs> oh, God. No, oh, I'm no. I, like, it's not going to be animosity. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I enjoy the film. So, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think that's the thing, too, is it's like, it is one of those things that, like, like I said, and that's kind of why I prefaced the idea of, like, yeah, there are like flaws that even I can see. But it's, you know, it's not necessarily like, you have to say this movie is perfect or I don't like you. You know, it is yeah, like, you know, you. right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but, um, and, and a lot of it, a lot of my appreciation did come from, from digging, digging into, you know, especially like with the first one, like how much of it has to do with philosophy and things like that and how that kind of shifted a little bit. And I think that was one of the complaints about the second one is it got so much wordy and it's like, you know, this, the philosophy was more subtle in the first one. This one, it's more like, you know, so in this third one, it kind of takes another turn. And I think that was maybe one of the things that either people didn't catch or didn't just didn't like straight up, you know, if it wasn't as interesting, because I feel like it gets more religious slash spiritual as opposed to philosophical, you know, um, and I think that, like I said, either that rubbed people the wrong way or they just kind of didn't see that that was like a, a shift that happened. Um, so, you know, and again, either way, it's like, yeah, it's like if you're interested in philosophy, but not in religion, I can get why this one didn't really do it for you, you know, that it's there. But, um, but anyway, yeah. And like I said, I, I, I actually am, am, am interested to talk about one of my biggest complaints of Matrix Revolutions. So... See, I noticed you unmuted. Did you have something? No, you were just getting ready to say yeah. bye at the end. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there was some laughter I wanted to join in and laugh. I got you. <laughs> I do appreciate that, like, when we're all unmuted, like, there are awkward pauses between laughs. I noticed a few of our episodes, it's like, it just sounds like we're playing to crickets because everybody's mics are muted. <laughs> you can see the laughter? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for, for watching this with me and for joining me once again via Zoom. Uh, I'm excited for, to finish up The Matrix, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited to discuss it with you all. I mentioned at the start, we, we get more out of these films when we share them with each other. And I really do, every single time. I, there have been films that I come out of going, meh. And then you guys talk about it for 20 minutes, just, just two of you, not even, you know, I'm not even involved. <laughs> and at the end of your discussion, I'm just like, wait, wait, stop. I need to go back and rewatch that. Holy crap. Oh, you know, it's great. So thank you all very much for joining me. Thank you listeners for sitting through our, our ridiculous ramblings. And we hope we'll be back next month. Until then, mm -hmm. good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Damn. Bye. <laughs> Fucking edit point that shit. Thanks, bud. You leave it as it is. <laughs> Bye, <Excellent>. everyone. <laughs> right. Bye. See you guys. <laughs> hey, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes. If you'd like to check us out there, I'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. If you want to find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at scott underscore w underscore murray, or on Twitter at scottmntg. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at joelt18. And I'm on Twitter at nerdsthatzeke. And on Instagram, I'm thetimgerard. And on Twitter, I'm at timgerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more. Thank <music> you.